is Monday, April 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. It is a happy Monday. Well, I mean, not for everybody, but I guess I'm pretty happy not about for, you. Not for Jordan Speed. No, no. <laughs> golly, jeez. Let's not pile on. We're not going to pile on. We are, <laughs> we're not going to pile on. Um, we got a couple of things to get to, including uh, something that, in theory, would heat up the IPL market, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll debate how hot the IPL market's going to get. But let's let's start with Under Armour. Speaking of Jordan Spieth, because shares down around four and a half percent this morning. I looked at it and I thought, well, Jordan Spieth is one of the highest profile athletes in the Under Armour umbrella. He is, and uh, he blew a lead in the back nine of the Masters yesterday. Yep. And and I thought, well, that's that's what's happening to Under Armour. But uh, there's a price cut involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's unfortunate. Obviously, uh, the back nine there yesterday for for uh, Jordan Spieth. I mean, any of us who play golf know though that it's just a tough, tough game <laughs> to ever really uh, perform at a high level for extended periods of time. But I think any any time you see a high profile athlete for any one of these major brands do something either on or off the field that is. Uh, you know, less than stellar. Probably the knee-jerk reaction is to assume, well, everybody's just going to sell the stock, and that's going to be the that's going to be sort of the end of it. Um, but I, I mean, I th- I think if you, we we certainly try to teach people not to react this way. I mean, it does look like there was a Morgan Stanley uh, price cut there involved with Under Armour. Some questions in regard to the growth, and and that's fair. I mean, Under Armour has been a a very fast grower here over the past few years, and has garnered a a premium multiple because of that. Um, it's interesting, given given what happened yesterday at the Masters. Then I wanted to go back and look at another one of Under Armour's high-profile athletes to see sort of is there some sort of a consistency here, and what could we learn from it, if anything? Uh, you go back to the the Broncos Patriots uh, AFC Championship game here in January. Um, Tom Brady is another big high-profile Under Armour athlete, uh, arguably higher profile than, than Jordan Spieth, and and so. The the Patriots lost to the Broncos on Sunday. The following day on Monday, it was interesting to see that Under Armour stock actually did sell off a little bit. Now, whether that is because of the Brady effect or whatever, who knows? But the bottom line is the stock did sell off. You can't really account for these sort of meaningless day by day gyrations, though. And I would say that anyone who sold the stock based on that. Thinking that, oh well, the sentiment is now going to be sour on Under Armour for a few weeks because the Patriots lost, and, and there's some there's some sort of negative sentiment out there in regard to Brady and Under Armour. If you dumped your Under Armour shares that day and decided you were going to get back in at a later time, well, then you missed the actual 22% pop that just came a few days later when they announced a very stellar quarter on I think it was January 28th. Um, so it all kind of goes back to that message that we all always espouse here in looking at investing from a longer time time perspective, right? I mean, I think it's it's just so difficult to predict what the market is going to do on any given day with any bit of news. Uh, we see good news and the stock goes down. We see bad news and the stock goes up. It doesn't make any sense uh, in the short run, but in the long run, really. The cream rises to the top, and the the best businesses that perform generally do pretty well in the stock market. 
Now, you're a very experienced golfer. I haven't golfed a day in my life. Never. Never. Really? Wow. Well, does miniature golf count? I mean, yeah, I'd say it counts. <laughs> there's a ball and there's a club. I mean, okay, why then not? yes. Let's, let's yes. give you some credit, right? Um, I don't know if you saw Tom Boswell, who's a wonderful writer, a sports columnist for the Washington Post. The opening line of his column this morning was because he was down at Augusta, he was at the Masters. And here's yeah. the opening line of his column War has conventions and laws about the limits of cruelty. Golf, unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't. And I was I was thinking about this. Uh, this, for for those unfamiliar, the, the winner of the Masters, which is one of the the big four golf tournaments, gets a green jacket. Yes, you get a big check and all that sort of, but it's the iconic green jacket, and it is the practice with the Masters that the person who won the Masters tournament the year before is there for the new winner. And helps him put on the jacket. And in this case, last year's winner was Jordan Spieth. Yeah. He has this collapse in the back nine, and now he has to go up. And because he finished in second, he has to go up and help the winner put on the jacket. And he had to do it twice, actually. I don't know if you saw that. They have like a they have a ceremony in Butler Cabin, like right after the tournament where they do it for the TV and then they have the actual award ceremony out there on the uh on the green by the clubhouse, and so he actually had to do it twice, which is just, I mean, I, I can't imagine. Like, I mean, I've played golf all of my life, and, and I, I understand the nuances of the game, and it is a very, very hard game at any level, and and I think it's one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of um, adults pick up the game, because it's just difficult to learn, and it requires a lot of patience, and a lot of people just... Don't really have that time or that patience to do it. It is a game rooted in tradition, and and I mean that is one of the traditions at the Masters is that the so it'd be it'd be different if, if he finished so, in thirtieth or right. if he missed the cut or something like that. And that and more often than not, that's the case that the yeah. person who won it the year before didn't finish in second or you know they they were out of the running maybe two days prior sure. and they're just like well I, hey. And in some cases, it might even be a good thing because it's hey, I get I get another chance to remind people, hey, last year I won this thing. Yeah, and I think that's probably the worst, probably the worst, <laughs> the the worst impact I think Tiger Woods probably has had on the game of golf. And let's be clear, he's been he's been a very positive force for the game, but I, I think that he created this sort of perception for many who were either new to the game or have been around for a little while even. He created this perception that someone could actually dominate the game because he really did dominate that game for a long time. Golf is one of those is one of those games, one of those sports where it, you really don't. It's hard to dominate for any sustained period of time, and so Tiger Woods was sort of the anomaly where that's concerned. And and ever since his falling out, and he's getting older, his body's kind of breaking down. So we are seeing this new generation of, of golfers come up. Um, and, and it's not that there's one force out there that's really dominating. It's a collection of a few names out there that are really playing well. But it's just a reminder, I think, for anybody that, that it is a really difficult sport to play at a sustained high level for an extended period of time. And so, what we saw Spieth do last year was phenomenal. Honestly, to come back and finish up runner-up in the Masters, if you didn't know how he did it, you would say, wow, that's terrific. Yeah, obviously the back nine kicked his ass, and I mean I'm feeling for him every single shot because that is just once you get on that train, it's really hard to get back off. But I w- I would venture a guess that Under Armour looks at this and they think, wow, we do have the kind of guy on our team that we want because he he handled 
that adversity with extreme grace, uh, it would be very easy to kind of go sulk in the corner and not want to do any interviews. It seemed like he really kind of stood up, faced the music. At 22 years old, I am 99.9% sure this is going to be one of those things that longer term, it is going to make him even better. And that's the scary part about it. I mean, this is one of those experiences where he's going to be able to look back and say, I remember what I did, I remember how that felt, and I don't want to do that again. And honestly, as we always do, let's draw the parallels to investing. This is why it's important to make mistakes in investing or anything in life, because your your mistakes are where you learn. That's how you we teach our kids the same thing. And so, when it comes to investing, for all of you investors out there, dig back there and remember those failures, because those failures are what make you better. Yahoo is expe- accepting bids for another week. Monday the 18th is uh, the deadline for Yahoo to, um, hey, if, if you've got a couple billion dollars sitting around your checking account <laughs> and you want Yahoo's Quora assets, you've got a week to weigh in. But uh, a reported 40 inquiries have been made, some obviously more serious than others. Right now, Verizon appears to be the front runner to the extent that there is a front runner. But the news this morning of a somewhat surprising bid coming will be coming from the UK. The Daily Mail is uh, has emerged as a suitor for Yahoo's core assets, and uh, I don't know. I, I on the one hand, I was surprised when I saw this news. On the other hand. If you're in the news business, as the Daily Mail is, and at its core, Yahoo's got Yahoo Finance, which the Motley Fool is is one of the contributors to, but also Yahoo Sports and others. Uh, it kind of makes sense to me, and I'm I'm I kind of want to hit the fast forward button and, <laughs> and 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 see where we are a week from now. But I think I think there are two very. I mean, if if all it ends up being is a serious bid from Verizon and a serious bid from the Daily Mail. I think that could be, end up being pretty interesting. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, if we, if we step back and sort of take a look at this from the from sort of a bigger picture um, perspective, I mean, really, the big winner here is Marissa Meyer, right? I mean, she's been paid a very handsome sum to ultimately just kind of help facilitate a deal here. At the end of the day, I mean, she started she started with Yahoo back in July of 2012. And um, I mean, shareholders have won too. I mean, if you own shares back then and they were somewhere fifteen, sixteen dollars, the stock has performed well. You've done okay. Um, but there's some reasons why it's done okay, and it's not because the business is so healthy. I mean, you mentioned the the two or so billion dollars. I mean, we look at Yahoo's thirty plus billion dollar market cap, and in the vast majority of that is their Alibaba right. stake. Uh, the core operations for Yahoo, I think. I, I I honestly kind of question um, how much they will fetch because I, I do think where they have strengths in finance and in sports, I don't know that there really is much else out there. I, I don't think Tumblr really is all that compelling. I mean, you have Tumblr, you have Medium, you have LinkedIn that opened up their publishing platform, so it's essentially the same thing. So I, it, it, yeah, I think a lot of media companies are going to get in there and try to sort of kick the tires and see what may be worth um, bidding on. And it's just we've seen this huge shakeup in in the media space, the way the new age media sort of is shaking out here, where you have your Facebooks and your Snapchats and your Twitters. Yahoo never really kind of got onto that social message and Google never really was able to get on that social message either. And so I'm not even sure how much 
value those those verticals offer really at the end of the day. But it, you know, you look at at what Yahoo, what Marissa Meyer has done with Yahoo when she took over in July 2012. Top line sales have actually gone nowhere. I mean, it is flat as a pancake, and the share count is down about 14%. So, we've seen earnings per share benefit from bringing that share count down. But here's the interesting thing. She's made $2.3 billion in cash acquisitions since she's been there. And and that top line has gone nowhere. Like That, to me, is fascinating, because we always said the sign of her success would be organic revenue growth. Growth that comes sans acquisitions. They've not been able to really hit on either Cylinder, so to speak. There, I mean, that's that's not really. There's no organic growth, so to speak, and there there is no real growth realized from those cash acquisitions because a lot of those acquisitions, Yahoo would buy them and then just shut them down. Um, so I, I mean, I think the sale is the right thing to do. I just I, I really kind of question at the end of the day how much they will fetch. See, I think that, and it's easier for me to get my head around the value proposition for Verizon. Part of that is because of what we saw Verizon do with AOL, and and part of that is uh, Verizon has just historically been more acquisitive than say the Daily Mail. Yeah. The Daily Mail hasn't grown through a lot of acquisitions, but I think in the case of Verizon, if they are looking to, if there is a land war or you know a land grab when it comes to a combination of broadband distribution, distribution period, and content. Well, Verizon can check the distribution box, mm-hmm. but they're lacking in the content box. No doubt. And so I think they may look at. I think if someone is going to pay a little bit more than the collective wisdom would suggest is a reasonable amount for Yahoo's core assets, I think Verizon is the one to do it yeah. because I think that they look at it and think, yeah. Maybe the Yahoo folks haven't been able to monetize this or grow this in a way that is meaningful for them, but we feel like with our leadership we can. And by the way, isn't that almost all? Like, forget Yahoo and Verizon and the Daily Mail for a second. Anytime we're talking about one company acquiring another, isn't that always part of the calculus? Like, we we know better. <laughs> we, we feel like, yeah, it didn't work. With your management running it, but we feel like with our management running it, we can do better. That's the assumption there, and and I think you look at at what Marissa Meyer has done. It's really I, I have a hard time really giving her a tough time about this because she came into a, a very tough situation, um, and I think ultimately, I think you're right. I think with Verizon, that's a company that has vast financial resources and a a tremendous distribution channel. That can reach out to um, many, many mobile customers, and and so I think that that yeah, they they probably look at that and think, hey, we have the distribution, we have some ideas, you have the brand and the content producers. Let's put our hands together here and make some magic. And I think that Verizon probably makes the most sense out of any, but. It you know, they they pushed it back a week and who's to say they won't push it back a little bit more? I think they're having, I think they're having a little fun being in the spotlight and trying to sort of exploit the value of the business and, and I can't blame. Them. Well, even if two thirds of these inquiries are not all that serious, that's that's still a lot. That's it's more interest than I would have expected. Certainly, and you want more interested parties, right? You want you want to be sort of. You want to be uh, the Starwood in this deal, right? You want to have a couple of 
couple of parties out there bidding for you and, and see if you can't get the best price. To date, it has not been a big year for IPOs, but that may be heating up because on Friday, the Long Island Iced Tea Company submitted an S-1 filing with the SEC. The company was founded in 2014 and uh, is going to be trading on the NASDAQ under the ticker symbol LTEA. Already trading, though, this is one of the pink sheets. This is, is. This is an over-the-counter stock. What is this? Is this just a move towards... Like we we want to be legit. We want to be in the big leagues. Well, Chris, <laughs> you see, companies typically will look to make the move either uh, from a private uh, presence or from an over-the-counter pink sheets presence to to something like a Nasdaq or a New York Stock Exchange holding because there are more there's more credibility that comes of being on one of those exchanges, and that's certainly understandable. Uh, one of the prices that you pay for being on one of those uh, exchanges is is a level of transparency that you you have to have to maintain in filing filings with the SEC. Now, when we talk about transparency, Chris, <laughs> we were looking at this story, I think it was last night kind of back and forth on Twitter yeah. and, and I, I took a lot of interest when I saw the tweet there and I thought, "Man, wow, that's pretty interesting. Long Island is very familiar with that beverage and yeah. I'm sure everybody is." And you do a little bit of a little bit of digging here and Chris, all is not what it seems. Right. Uh, do do you care to tell our audience what I mean? It's not Long Island iced tea. Well, it's just tea. It's just tea, which is fine. That's not very transparent, but though. When you call yourself <laughs> the Long Island iced tea company, I'm expecting, among other things, alcohol in the beverage, and that's going to be a big differentiator, right? right? <laughs> I don't know that there is a company out there doing necessarily that. Uh, I do know companies that are out there making tea that think they do a pretty good job of it. I mean, Snapple really kind of started that revolution. Yep. They still exist and have a partnership with Dr. Pepper. Uh, Honest, Honest Tea, tea uh, did did a really wonderful job building up that business to ultimately be acquired by Coca-Cola in, in, in its vast distribution network. And so, with Long Island Iced Tea, I, I can't help but wonder, what is the differentiator here? And in looking through their S-1, the filing to go public, it's fascinating to me. One of their competitive strengths that they list, and I quote, immediate global recognition of the Long Island iced tea phrase associated with the cocktail. So, essentially, what they're saying is that one of their competitive strengths is deception. What do you think about that? I, I, I think they're right. <laughs> Because I was duped. I was duped too. I can't believe we were the only ones. I'm not going to drink their tea just out of spite. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I don't I mean, know. I mean, I'm, I'm making a joke. Obviously, I, I, it is very interesting to see what they what they can actually get away with here. Um, as far as as far as raising money and growing as a public company, I've never had the product. I I, I don't mean to belittle it, um, and, and I'm not really. I, I just uh, I am. I, <laughs> I, I have. I was to, expecting alcohol. I have to wonder what the big differentiator here is, other than sort of a local brand. Um, they're just it's it's it, the beverage market is a crowded market. They like if anything, I mean, at least they're playing into the market where sodas are are witnessing a lot of he, uh, headwinds, and and they're they're not selling a soda, right? And, that's and, good, and, and in all seriousness, if if this is a business that can grow. This is a play, but we talked about this uh, on the radio show last Friday with uh, with Constellation Brands and their latest quarter and the acquisition of Prisoner Wine. That is the tried and true playbook for many a beverage company, whether they are selling alcohol or they are selling 
non-alcoholic beverages. It is build up your business to the point where a behemoth like a Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Constellation Brands, Dr. Pepper, Snapple, whoever, comes in and says, we like what you're doing. We have much, much greater distribution capacity than you have. So, here's a check, and you're going to work with us now. Yeah, and my guess is that if they had um, if they had someone come come along with an offer like that, they'd be very excited because I, at the end of the day, I mean this this is a this is a difficult business. There are a lot of moving parts, and they've done a wonderful job building the business to this point. Um, and if if they had a Dr Pepper Snapple or a PepsiCo or a Coca Cola come say, hey, we like the cut of your jib, and we want you to be part of our family. I mean, that opens up a world of distribution that you could not get otherwise. And that distribution is just such a key advantage, um, much greater advantage than um, someone seeing your brand and thinking you're something else from the outside. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.